Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Live from the Videotech, the Facets podcast, and we have a special guest this week. Uh, he is the co-founder, artistic director, and programmer of the Chicago Underground Film Festival, Brian Wendorf. Yeah. Can I say hello? Hello. hello. <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I think we're gonna start with Sam because, as he told you, he saw Modfuck Explosion. I did recently. And I I did a couple weeks ago. He, he had feelings. I had so it. many feels. Uh, <laughs> feels. Uh, they, it, I didn't know what was happening a lot of the time, and a lot of it I I, res, I was respecting the craft of of the film, uh, but a lot of the story just seemed to like wander around and uh, didn't seem to focus I, I that might uh, clearly that was the intention i i really yeah. i enjoyed the experience of modfuck explosion but the film itself i had to separate my body yeah. from it yeah i like to describe it sometimes as being a really smart film pretending to be a really dumb film oh <clears throat> um so i think it's all like giant John knows what he's doing, and but he's deliberately trying to circumvent or you know fuck with the uh, <laughs> expectations and the rules of of what good cinema should be. But he knows what he's doing and why yeah. he's doing it. Um, and he, yeah, I hadn't watched it in. About twenty years. I mean, I, I oh, own wow. the DVD, but yeah. how often do I watch right. Modfuck Explosion? At <laughs> it's home not on like DVD? something you want to return to, like on a lazy Sunday. I mean, or something. I mean, keep it around because I want to show it to other people. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but to be able to show it again on sixteen was great, and mm-hmm. um, and I've shown every film that he's made since Modfuck Explosion at at the festival too, um, and he's got he's editing his new feature right now which will be just out next that. year yeah 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 it it uh it was interesting talking to sam about it because i almost <laughs> wondered if it was a generational thing sam is a millennial i'm a, I'm a proud i'm a proud and resentful millennial <laughs> brian and i are gen x more or less mm-hmm. <laughs> so like to me you know it it makes perfect sense modfuck explosion like in the 90s diy underground <laughs> Low yeah. budget punk, all these things. You, it's the kind of thing you'd read about these movies in a zine or something. Yeah, then yeah. Maybe, maybe I've been talking about this a lot lately because of this being the 25th anniversary of the festival, yeah. and that's totally the environment that the festival was founded in. And it's been 20, it's 25 years later, and finding a way to keep the festival relevant and reach like millennials and young people. I mean, there are people volunteering and working with me on the festival now who weren't even born when I started doing it, you know? Who are, like, graduated from film school now and are, like... um, So they don't have that that same... They don't know who, like, Richard Kern is or John Moritsugu, and, and they might know John Waters more from hairspray and films later than that than from Pink Flamingos or something. And, you know, I wonder sometimes about, like, um, like somebody like John Waters, like, if you'll see, you know, like, what the reaction to that film would be made today? Because we have, we have a much more politically correct yeah. climate for mm-hmm. yeah. good and bad. 
mm-hmm. you know. And so something like, like, like John Waters' films. I mean, they've always been designed to provoke and shock people. But yeah, I, I think by the by the '90s, like people our age, we can just like, oh yeah, it's John Waters. That's what he does. We yeah. know it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and we didn't care right. in the 90s right. you know, if he was doing these assaultive, aggressive... Right. I mean, I worked things. at Quimby's bookstore in in the 90s uh, before I worked at Facets here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I go to Quimby's now, and I, it's still a great bookstore, but it, it's changed because... Yeah, it used to that, be kind of X-rated to walk through the aisles. You know? Yeah. I yeah. walked in there a couple weeks ago. I was like, man, they have like they have Martha Stewart books here. That's great. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I, that, that freaks but, me out. But, you know, like, I, I'm from the... Like, you know, I have my original copies of Jim Goad's Answer Me at Home. Yeah. And, you know... I, I do, too. I'm questioning if I should even hold on to them, to be honest. <laughs> they, they might be illegal someday. <laughs> Um, but that was kind of that generate, you know, it's everything, like nobody cared, like you deliberately were trying to fuck with the, you know, at least fuck with this straight society in yeah. some way. And it was, came out of this kind of punk, post-punk attitude towards yeah. things. And What about the idea that that was like the test period where we had to test all these yeah. boundaries and now that we've tested them? Now we're establishing a new protocol. Maybe, 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 maybe. we're. But things also, I think there's a dialectic, and things go in cycles. Yeah. And you know, just be prepared for like <laughs> the next generation following you, Sam, oh, yeah. is going to go back the other way. And, they're they're going to like, they're just going to like show like a butthole the on, problem, on screen. Well, you know, the problem is, I think that's there is a reaction. The happening currently yeah. to the political yeah, it's but it's Donald it, Trump it's, but it's <laughs> that it's like a really bad fuck instead of like a funny subversive yeah. reaction to mainstream society it's gone political so now it's like like well, fascist yeah, <laughs> you know like you've got like assholes like Jordan Peterson and yeah um that's another thing that has come up a lot is that a lot of these things that used to be far left things like conspiracy theory like don't trust anyone don't trust the government they're lying to you don't trust anyone over age 35 <laughs> yeah but all this stuff like uh, nominating a pig for president that used yeah. to be a far left thing now it's a far right thing you yeah. know like well, now conspiracy we, theories they, wait they did nominate a <laughs> yeah, pig for won. president and he won this time, <laughs> this, this time he won you know and like conspiracy theory don't trust the media those it's all all been co-opted by the alt-right including this politically incorrect like testing of the boundaries so it's it's and really and as a result it's appealing to a younger generation in a dangerous way i think that like yeah particularly straight white you know straight white guys of a that age i think it's a there's definitely a reaction that's not not good. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, you know, they use this phrase uh, "social justice warrior" yeah. a lot now. I just heard a friend of mine coin a new phrase to describe like people like Jordan Peterson, and it's SQW status quo warriors. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we, and, like we, we just got. We've been needing a counter. To yeah, that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean this. This goes right into questions I had. Like, uh, 
how I mean, how do you define an underground film? How did you then has that definition changed with these things we're talking about? Like, yeah, like, yeah, and it's changed partially. Does it still exist? You know. Well, that's a good question. Does it still exist? Um, it's changed in, and it changes because the filmmakers change, and the types of films they're sending me. So I'm just, you know, programming from. A call for you know I don't do a lot of of inviting films mm-hmm. a little bit but not a lot. You like to wait and see what you and get. And just get the submissions to come in and we do things like alumni have their entry fees waived so we encourage people who've been in the fest in the past to submit new work. And there are some there are some names that you'll always like. Yeah, I'll bring yeah. this person. It's just in. like if you're the Chicago International Film Festival, there's going to be certain you know if there's a new film by somebody they're probably going to want to show it based on on that filmmaker's past reputation and, yeah. and yeah. um and like Moritsugu is one of those mm-hmm. but um but it's you know like so when we started the underground film festival in 1994 that whole like Richard Kern and Nick Zed New York cinema of transgression scene Mm-hmm. that was like an inspiration to us mm-hmm. had pretty much petered out by that point like um you know Nick Zed continued to make work um of varying quality um Richard Kern had kind of transitioned into photography, photography yeah. and mm-hmm. music videos and things and he would was Larry a get- Cl- would Larry Clark be included in that list or that is that Larry too Clark? Ma- yeah um, would that be too you mean like Larry Clark who did Porky's and no, I, or like Bob kids Clark. I was thinking oh oh Larry Clark from yeah, yeah. kids or like um, uh he's kind of a precursor really to Richard Kern in a way because he started with photography yeah like, yeah uh, really raw um, I mean I think Larry Clark's um I think kids is a really interesting film we actually were kind of interested in trying to get it for the underground film festival in I think 95 mm-hmm after it premiered at Sundance but it did get uh, you know Miramax yeah. distribution thing. so that's kind of that yeah. you know kind of <laughs> for the most part keeps it out of our realm um, <laughs> but I think you know he he was definitely doing things that push by, and you know yeah. Vincent Gallo Brown Bunny and things, yeah. you know people there's always people doing stuff and um and there's different degrees because, like, some of those people are more like main. Not they're definitely not mainstream, but maybe they're more funded art, art cinema <laughs> yeah, kind right. of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like, Mod Fuck Explosion yeah. was at the Berlin Film Festival <laughs> in 1994, 93 when it was released and it played. So it <laughs> it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival to like 2,000 people. Yeah. And, what, do you know what the reaction was like? I don't know. I mean, the reviews yeah. were have been mostly positive. I, mean, I was actually surprised that with this recent screening at the Music Box mm-hmm. that the reviews in Chicago... It got reviewed in Chicago for that <laughs> screening after 25 years, and the reviews were all really positive. I, Especially the reader. I was really shocked that... The, that uh, 
the reader gave it a recommendation and good review. Um, yeah. Um, well, Michael Phillips reviewed it for um, for Cinelist. For Cine, yeah, Cinelist and back in '94 or recently? No, just oh, recently. oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I thought he got he really understood the film. Yeah, that was wow. a great review. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that the I do think that the the Cinelist reviewers are some of the best film writing in Chicago right now. Mm, like absolutely. Just, you know, uh, Ben Sachs who, and Michael Phillips and Kat Sachs and Patrick Friel, like, oh, that whole, yeah, who are like some... Yeah, writes for them. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's great stuff in there. But, oh, it's great. Um, but I do think there's like a kind of underground today. And first, well, one thing that happened with the festival is when we started programming what I, I called in the early that early nineties or mid nineties post transgressive cinema is like uh, yeah. the way that that you know, you had punk and then shortly after you started to have post punk, which were yeah. bands that came out of that <laughs> but didn't sound like that. They were much less limited. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's what we were trying to exploring. And there were things in the really early years of the festival, there was a lot of trying to find, or people making work just to show at an underground film festival, mm -hmm. deliberately trying to be a shock. There's, there's a guy in New York named Huck Botko who did this series of videos called, um, the first in the series is called Fruitcake. And there's um, graham cracker cream pie and there's each one's I'm like worried food. about where this is going, folks. It sounds well, delicious, whatever it is. Well, so these films were presented as documentaries. Like and they all involved him. So, like, Fruitcake, the first in the series, he, he makes a fruitcake batter, goes down to the Lower East Side of New York in the Bowery, oh, no. and has homeless people spit in it. And then the end of the film is Christmas and he's giving his family fruitcake for a Christmas yeah. morning and his dad's eating it. And, they, and the thing that, about Huck is I think he really paid really close attention in, in film school when they taught you that if you show a fruitcake, fruitcake batter in one scene and someone eating a fruitcake in the next scene, <laughs> The audience perceives that as being exactly the same fruitcake. You know? <laughs> you know? but, yeah. um, <laughs> you know? I think there's probably a cinematic term for that. I don't know what it is, but editing. Might, yeah, might, yeah. Might start with M. Yeah. See if uh, Eisenstein knows anything. Yeah, about yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Montage. Yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> um, no, that's. that's um, but so, like, he did this whole series like that, and he's like a directing and writing like mainstream movies now. Like Netflix or something? Yeah, he did uh, a horror film called The Last Exorcism. Whoa! Oh, yeah. I've... That was done in like a faux documentary style. Yeah, yeah and, that... Um, that was his whole... Yeah, so I like, even heard he that, started yeah. out doing the, you know... Um, there was a term Ed Halter who used to program the New York Underground Film Festival coined, he called Moonlight Auteurs, mm. which would be like guys that worked in like post-production house or edit you know editing commercials or you know doing very and then using 
just like you know the way you use the office photocopier to publish your zine after hours right you know <laughs> i'm sure that that's a 90s thing it doesn't yeah that's anymore. a 90s thing that stopped in like 98 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um but so that you had people who were growing up watching those kinds of films and the diy spirit of making things you know like you mentioned the zine culture and like the richard kern films stuff i started hearing about those not really so much in film publications but in music yeah. you know punk scenes and yeah you'd have like these tapes reviewed and it was part of and another part of it was it was part of vhs culture yeah that um which was a huge influence on us starting the festival i mean jay blesnick and i worked at video adventure in evanston when we started the festival and at the time video adventure was like there was facets and there was video adventure were like the two mm-hmm. video stores and if one if you were like really into you know the, the deep cuts of cinema you know <laughs> these were the stores you know that um yeah and you could you know, we'd read these zines, like film zines and, and music zines, and you could send away for mm-hmm. somebody's movie. Like, if you made a movie, you could put it on VHS and send it through the mail, which was kind of a new phenomenon. You mm-hmm. couldn't really do that. And Jay and I were both movie geeks that had, like, <laughs> huge VHS collections and were, you know, trading and getting, like, bootleg copies of, like, Dario Argento films when they weren't available yeah, in the U.S. Yeah. yeah, all this kind of stuff that you couldn't get anywhere. That's pretty easy to find now. Yeah, yeah. There was a time when <clears> and not. and there was a magazine at the time called Film Threat. Yeah, um, and they had a even more important to me than Film Threat magazine was their kind of spinoff publication. It was called the Film Threat Video Guide, mm-hmm. and basically you could send your VHS tape to them. And they'd review it. And Jay had the idea to start what became the Chicago Underground Film Festival while selling bootleg videos at a famous Monsters of Filmland convention. Mm-hmm. And he came back to work and he said, I, I, we had this conversation while I was at this convention. And he had the name. He was like, I want to call it this, the Chicago Underground Film Festival. And we're going to show these kind of, you know, the kind of films that we read about in Film Threat and I want you to help me do it and I kind of blew him off for a while <laughs> and he kept at coming back and was like no I really you should help me do this and finally I agreed in the back of my mind kind of thinking I would probably be here 25 years later doing that. <laughs> he, he's gone he's yeah got, yeah uh, he, he's a chef now uh, <laughs> I do love that it was hatched in a video store yeah like part of the video store staff a lot of great things are hatched in video yeah stores. yeah and <laughs> so that but that was a huge part of it like so like when we started the Chicago Underground Film Festival there was no South by Southwest Film Festival there was no Los Angeles Film Festival uh, there was no Tribeca, you know, there was like the Chicago International Film Festival, there was Toronto, there was the New York Film Festival, Telluride, there weren't that many, because until you had VHS tapes, which hadn't really been around that long at that yeah, point, yeah. to send your film to a film festival, 
Man, you, you strike a print. You shipped your 35 millimeter or 60 millimeter print, mm -hmm. and the programmers sat in a theater and watched all these movies. I read this <laughs> book about the history of Sundance a few mm -hmm. years ago, and they talked about you know the idea of an independent film being such a new idea even though there's been independent, like, non-studio films made. I mean, there's been underground films made since yeah. cinema began, too. Right. Um, but the, um, you know, Sundance programmers hearing about this guy in Pittsburgh, I believe it was in Pittsburgh, was in Pittsburgh at the time, uh, David Lynch, yeah. mm -hmm. who had made this independent feature called Eraserhead. Mm -hmm. And they called <laughs> this guy up and said, hey, um, we're interested. We heard that you made an independent film. We're programming a festival of independent films. We'd like to see it. He ships the thirty-five parents. The Sundance programmers watching go, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> they don't program it. Oh <laughs> man, he didn't get in. <laughs> you know? That's interesting. But um, you know, so VHS made it much easier. Yeah. yeah. For people to make stuff, and you know, people were still primarily shooting on sixteen millimeter. Mm -hmm. Video was consumer VHS or like, you know, like we were showing things the first few years on, that were on video were all like three quarter inch umatic tapes, like broadcast video. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. So people weren't really shooting with camcorders. Yeah, there yeah. was. There, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. coming in it too. Was, yeah. People were starting to shoot on camcorders and like home, you know, but it was like but it very... Looked, it looked worse than 16 mil. Oh, yeah, you definitely. I mean? yeah. And that was part of the idea of the Underground Festival when it started was that, oh, things, we were interested in ideas and we don't care about the high production values and things. Mm -hmm. um, a few years later, um, like 97, I think it was, um, these two filmmakers... Stefan Avalos and Lance Wheeler made a independent feature called The Last Broadcast. Mm -hmm. And they shot it on digital video when that was still a really new idea. And they had worked out a deal with a, the company that had, that was making the digital projection systems, which were still really new at the time, that if their film got into a festival, this company would supply the digital projection system to uh -huh. allow it to be shown this way. <laughs> and we showed this film at Cuff in 97. And Jay and I immediately started talking to the company with the digital projection system and said, hey, if you become a sponsor and can get it, then we can. So we became like early adopters of the digital thing when, yeah. like, it was several years before Sundance was like, okay, we're going to show. Di you know, now, mm -hmm. now it's a challenge when you actually want to show something on film. Right. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you go to a movie and it's all digital now. Um, but all these technological changes also change the content of of the work too. Like, um, everything that you see at a festival like ours now is a little more polished than, or at least almost everything, because it's so much easier to make something look decent yeah. on digital. Technology is yeah. so, so much more democratized now. 
Yeah. And, and that was kind of what I was wondering, like, because it used to be, it was almost like a calling card to look bad. Right. <laughs> or just to, to look like, you know, you did it yourself. And, right. And it wasn't slick. And you had also now, like something like, like the Hakbako films I was talking about. I mean, he was making those because he knew the New York Underground Film Festival existed, and he would just make a new one every year for that festival. And then <laughs> we existed too, so he'd send it to us. Mm-hmm. And but today, like films like that, probably get uploaded to YouTube. Yeah, you just know, bypass yeah any kind of distribution, yeah. festival, exhibition, um, anything. But there's still films. But does that mean it's not underground? No, <laughs> and I'll I'll even show something if I see something really interesting on YouTube. Yeah. Because showing it in a festival context is gonna you know, like the thing. There's a lot to watch on YouTube. Well, yeah. How do you find it? Yeah, you're rescuing it from this vast, undifferentiated pit of right, <laughs> right. Know. I mean, and that's part of I mean, what's called like any yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. That's what all good festivals. Do yeah. is to curate something. It's harder now to curate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I still see work that I feel fits the spirit of what the underground is. I mean, it's different. Um, there's still some occasional things that are in. It's a lot harder to shock me or or to you know imitate like what? like if I see something that just imitates Richard Kern and Nick Zed now. Usually, don't think it's that good, right? Well, you probably know, isn't. Like, yeah, and usually it's the same. Like if somebody, people take the wrong lessons from like a John Waters or something. Like you, it's really hard to re- just do that again. And if you don't have that, the sense of humor, yeah, and the, and um, yeah, then it's just gross. Or people who, who think that underground means that they don't have to try yeah <laughs> and it's okay and um you know like i said john Mortsugu, i think yeah. he's making smart films that he's hiding inside like this bad this facade of bad filmmaking that's all deliberate yeah it's not you know like if that was a film made by a genuinely bad filmmaker you wouldn't want to watch it yeah, I, I find with like Modfuck Explosion that I like it was after it was over that I really started to enjoy it almost. I mean, I enjoyed certain scenes yeah. definitely, but like you know, just the character of uh, Amy Davis—I forget her name, which I can't. Oh, London, of course. Yeah. yeah. Like her, her character just kind of haunted me afterwards. Yeah. You know, kind of her melancholy. And I mean while you're watching it it's like oh man that's bad lighting or whatever but right, right. And afterwards you're like man London I wonder how she's doing now you know that kind of thing <laughs> the, the moment that like reminded me of like oh man I always go back to is like the death of her brother like the yeah. way he like he's just like this weird comedic he's almost doing like kabuki style like acting after a certain point and then when he dies it's like almost really it's really heartbreaking when you see him like do the same type of movements and I'm like oh my gosh that's a good example yeah there was a, I, some scenes that I had completely forgotten about until I was watching it again at the music box recently and there's just weird like set pieces like like there's a scene where London is just walking through this 
landscape of these weird like metal discs spinning and yeah like, and i was She's just like what's an art gallery yeah or what is that and like yeah. <laughs> and that just it's looks presented cool. without explanation yeah <laughs> yeah i love the fact that the uh one of the things that gets really brought up in the press about the film is the the dream sequence with the meat yes and it's <laughs> it's like 30 seconds of the film it's a lot which shorter add, than I thought it would be and it adds like nothing to the plot yeah <laughs> yet he trucked in what 800 pounds yeah. of meat to do that yeah I mean see that's an example of how you read about it long before you actually see right. it like I knew about this meat scene two years before I actually saw the movie and then uh yeah, when I saw it, I was like, yeah. that was, like, so short. Like, <laughs> they, they should have shown her just rolling in the meat. I mean, yeah. come yeah. on. But, I remember it longer in my head. I was, saw it, like, two weeks ago. I was like, it's, it, was like a, it was, like, three hours, right? I was like, no, it was, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the film is only, like, 65 minutes. Yeah. It might a, seem longer. But that short. scene itself, and they, like, and it's actually shorter, yeah. a little shorter on DVD than it is, oh, is on it? the oh, film wow. print because the opening sequence in the film isn't on the DVD oh. which is like the all the the um, corporate studio logos that, you that. know the Warner Brothers logo <laughs> and it's scratched on and yeah. it says like shit oh, man. <laughs> and it's like you can't you can't put that on your DVD release <laughs> that's funny too because like now you watch an independent film or a semi-independent film and there's like I swear like three full minutes of logos before the movie right. before you even get to a credit it's like yeah. right. it's just logo after logo after logo it's almost like so, have you seen fun of it. have you seen scum rock john word no, okay I, i've only seen terminal usa is the only other okay. one i've seen so scum rock he made in like 2003 and but then it, it was like the height of you know digital video revolution had kind of fully right. was fully on board so john Mortsugu shot his digital feature on high eight yeah <laughs> you know and <laughs> i was actually expecting when i first saw it it was like oh this is actually more a little more polished than i expected because mm -hmm. i thought it was going to be shot on high eight and then edited on like two vhs decks yeah, <laughs> yeah. um well terminal usa was made with pbs money right and it looks it's yeah, I think really it looks amazing yeah yeah in a yeah. good way like it, it's finally really well lit and yeah. his, his sets like kind of that fake sort of thing that he does with his sets it just looks perfect yeah. in there i mean i, don't I know. didn't notice before the recently like john jose is, is in he's the in, credits yeah, yeah i saw that too i think he's a musician he yeah he's a musician yeah yeah he's another like video artist kind of that facets we carry tons of his stuff back in the v <laughs> we have it on vhs yeah you know, I, I don't know if it's ever been on dvd mm -hmm. but yeah that was interesting too. yeah um, um but i i was gonna ask like so do you feel like you're getting more kind of socially conscious submissions and less transgressive submissions is that yeah, there's some of that. I mean, I think there's there's always a room or room for some socially conscious stuff within the underground. Yeah, yeah there always has been. Yeah. Yeah. Um again, like it's so it's no more than how ever, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's you see trends at times. I mean, there was a period in the late 90s where I felt like every year 
I saw another Burning Man documentary. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes two or three, you know. And then we showed a couple of the really good ones. Yeah. But it got to the point where I just pictured going to Burning Man and you just see, like, this infinite regression of people with cameras. Filmed. Like, nobody's actually there to be part of Burning Man. They're just there to make a documentary about people who go to Burning Man. <laughs> and they get there, and there's no one there but other documentary filmmakers. <laughs> um it's like or, selfie generation. Or you've got, uh, you know, certain political, th- you know, there were a lot of uh, Occupy yeah. documentaries for a while. And Did you get lots of Trump stuff this year? Like uh, not a lot Trump this stuff? year. I feel like it needed a little more time to mm-hmm. start. We got some. I yeah. mean, we had some Trump stuff last year. But yeah. um, we are showing one very overtly political um, film this year called Working in Protest by Michael Galinsky, who's someone I've been showing at the festival since 95. Um, And and this basically is like shot over like 25, 30 years of political protests in the U.S. So it starts with like a Ku Klux Klan rally in North Carolina that he shot when he was in college. Mm. Um, any like WTO stuff in Seattle or yeah yeah and um, and the like the Klan stuff. It's like he was shooting still photographs and then he got audio interviews later and put them together to make like the video section of that. And it goes through yeah WTO and Occupy and through every women's since, march or yeah yeah and it goes up to like the trump's inauguration and yeah and things so i knew this year i really wanted at least one unmistakably like this is you know mm-hmm. this is where we're at yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think it also comes in in less obvious ways in things in other films like there's a great like kind of transgressive um, short film I'm showing this year called Ape Sodom. It was... Um, I can't remember the director's name now, but it, it's uh, a Canadian filmmaker. I saw it at Slamdance and loved it. Um, David Cronenberg does voiceover for it. Oh. And... Is it a short? It's a short. Yeah. Um, Ape it, Sodom. Ape like Sodom. A-P-E. Yes. Okay. Does David Cronenberg say those words exactly? <laughs> no. No, oh. he, he does not. But actually, there is no ape. And well, there isn't. There's a guy in a kind of a ratty ape suit in one scene. <laughs> there is some sodomy. <laughs> um, but I watch, and without spoiling it, like I, watching that film, I was like, oh, this is like a metaphor for the, the uh, political climate that we're in it's set in like a post collapse future mm-hmm. and there's this like kind of struggling a guy who's like foraging through like the garbage to survive and he gets bought off by this rich guy to like work for him and he just it's about him being completely abused by this the guy with money and power 
and their last one of the last things that the rich guy says to him in, at the end of the film is, is he looks at him and says you should protest so kind of wrapping up here a little bit we could obviously talk for hours about the underground and and everything but so the festival like let's yeah. let's hype it up i mean okay. it's yeah. Ju- june 6th right yeah june oh. 6th, opening night june 6th at the logan theater and it goes through sunday june 10th um related to all everything we've already been talking about our opening film which is already sold out two screenings Damn. wax track wax track industrial accident the story of wax tracks records um and i thought that was a perfect film for our 25th anniversary because again that's going back to that the culture that this festival grew out of absolutely and And chicago culture too right i mean i don't think i would have discovered half of this kind of underground stuff did they sell vhs at wax tracks back in the day or was it just records is it records zines book yeah not a lot of vhs because i think Maybe it was a little, it was a little too early yeah. for VHS, yeah. really. Um, but it was this thing that it led to yeah. un- starting to understand. Yes, you know, like music introduced me to film right. more than anything else. Yeah, well, I was going to say this year. I mean, there's music throughout the festival. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff, so it's still very much part of. Yeah, part I mean, of, I think yeah. part of, that's a big part of the un- underground culture is always like music and working outside um this film we're showing par- parallel planes it has interviews with like michael Giraud from swans and weasel walter and things and <laughs> yeah. weasel was like a long time fixture in the chicago underground music scene yeah um, moved away about 15 years ago maybe yeah but, yeah but um so about that kind of real independence so which yeah. is like fiercely independent exactly <laughs> as opposed to uh pitchfork independent <laughs> yeah like a latte independent right <laughs> exactly yeah uh, so is it all at the logan or it's all there... at the logan theater except for um the festival parties um we are doing one party saturday night at reunion which is a an art space in humble park that Craig Baldwin is going to be doing a multimedia, like 16 millimeter expanded cinema piece. Like multi- yeah. simultaneous projection kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. And that, um, yeah, we could talk about, he's the guest of honor, Craig Baldwin, who's a wild, like, Bay Area collage filmmaker. Um, yeah. The kind of the negative, he's almost like the visual version of Negative Land. And he made a, that documentary, yes. Sonic Outlaws, about Negative Land, uh, yeah. which... We showed at the festival back in 95 and are showing again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig was one of those filmmakers that we read about in Film Threat before we started the festival, who was making work at the same time as like the Nick Zeds and Richard Kearns, but, but being a, not really being as transgressive deliberately. Right. But there's something transgressive about him, the way he uses found footage, political transgression. Yeah. Right. But not that same kind of shock value. Yeah. Thing. So he was always an inspiration to us. Um, so it seemed like a good choice to honor him on our 25th year, too. Yeah. Um, and he's also a great um, 
proponent of underground film. In, in San Francisco, he, he's been running a, a micro cinema there called Other Cinema for like 30 some years. Um, and same, and a DVD label. Yeah. 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 Same address, like the storefront, or does he move around a lot? Is it kind of. Yeah, it's been rock? in the same place. Yeah. Um, although he was running a risk recently of getting priced out because of all the gentrification. Oh, um, this is they did, after all. They did <laughs> manage to work something out and sign a new lease. Um, That's great but, underground <laughs> news. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's to Craig Baldwin. Yeah. Here's to Cuff, the Chicago Underground Film Festival. Congratulations on your 25th anniversary, Congratulations. Brian. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> and thanks for coming to the Life from the Videotech podcast. Go to Cuff, people. June 6th to June 10th. www.cuff.org. It's a website. <laughs> All right. Gotta have a website. Yeah. Yeah, a website. <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Live from the Videotech, the fastest podcast. Since 1975, Fastest has connected people to independent ideas through film. It's our goal to make sure that film continues to have the power to remind us on what it's like to be human. All of our programs expand on this simple, empathy-driven idea in many unique and pioneering ways. Learn more at fastest.org, and you can come visit us in person at 1517 West Fulton Avenue, Chicago, Illinois.